Tonight we're going to be turning our attention to the 13th chapter of Luke's Gospel. And we'll pick up really as, as we get going in the 14th verse. But the 14th verse is set up by an event. And Jesus is teaching. He's in the upper regions of the Galilee. He's on the northern shore. And he travels around. Jesus spends a lot of time just kind of doing the itinerant teaching thing, the itinerant preaching thing. He goes from synagogue to synagogue, and he preaches and teaches on the Sabbath. And so we find in verse 10, here in the 13th chapter of Luke's Gospel, something that I think when we look at it, we can see a little bit of ourselves in it. I can see a little bit of myself in it. Now, I don't know if, if there's a whole lot of this in you, but I can tell you at times in my life, I've been a little holier than thou at times. A, a little bit prone to look at what's going on in other people's lives with a little less grace than I might look at that same thing in my own life. But to set the stage, it was quickly look at verses 10 down to verse 13. And it says here in Luke 13, and now as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. Now when you think about 18 years of infirmity, that's a very, very, very long time. I don't suffer very long. I, 18 minutes seems like an eternity to me. 18 hours, definitely pushing the limits. 18 days, not sure I can make that. 18 weeks, definitely a no. Months, certainly not. 18 years does not even register in my head of having an infirmity that it seems as though could have been healed a long time ago. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. In other words, no fault of her own, nothing could she do. There, there wasn't a thing that was really going on in her own life that you could look at it and say, man, well, this is why you're doing that. You know, you spend too much time, you know, bent over somewhere. There was nothing she could do to correct this. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Now at that point in time, wouldn't all of us in here be going, Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory. Thank you, Jesus. But let me show you exactly what happens when you're a legalist. Exactly what happens when you look at life through the lens of thus says the law. When you, when you check out everything by the minutiae and, and the grace of God doesn't reach into the depths of your life. When you begin to, to view everything by a set of stringent standards that you yourself if you were to fall into those things, you, you, you wouldn't do well yourself. And he laid his hands on her, 
and immediately she was made straight. And check this out. She praised God. She gave a doxology. She praised the Lord. She knew that this was something that the Lord alone could do. And she gave honor and glory and praise to the Lord. And we're going to pick this story up right there with this woman who has just been healed of an infirmity that she's had for 18 years. And we're told Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath. We're told exactly what the situation is. And then we'll pick up the story in a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, we pray for all of us tonight that we'd be able to lay down our legalism, put away our bondage. God, forget all the little minutia, the, the silly things, Lord, that sometimes we conjure up in our heads, our inability to rejoice when you do good things in people's lives. Lord, would it never be said of us that we cannot rejoice when someone rejoices because you've touched them. And so, Lord, bless us as we study your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Lord is going to, again, he's taking this whole theme of hypocrisy, and he's going he's gonna to look at, and I, I like to look at this like a double exposure. Now, we live in a day and a time of digital cameras, right? And so back in the day, if you had a 35-millimeter camera, very specifically, or maybe before that, you know, you, you had even one of the bulk format cameras or something, uh, if you had one that had a manual advance on the film, there were times when you would forget to manually advance the film and you would shoot a second image right over the top of the first one. It was called a double exposure. And, and, and so what was ever, whatever was in the first one was also in the second one. And whatever was in the second one was also in the first one because they became a single image, but they presented themselves kind of in a, in a twofold way. And that's the picture here as we're going to unfold these verses as we'll take from verse 14 to 30 now. And the Lord is going to expose the hypocritical hearts of men. And he's not going to do it just once. He's going to do it twice in a very short period of verses. And so I think this is an issue that I believe the Lord wants us to get right. Because very often we can look at other people's lives and what's going on, and we don't live their lives, right? So we don't know all the details, the stuff that's going on. We can simply look at a very small snippet of their life, and we can begin to judge just that one thing. And, and maybe what the Lord would be saying to us tonight was we need to take and stop for just a second and just be able to rejoice when God does good things. Verse 14. Now, this is immediately following the healing of this woman, which takes place on the Sabbath. And immediately, the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. He stands up. You can almost see it happening. This is the people who have a bent in life about some particular thing that goes on, that, that they take that legalistic spin. Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, notice he doesn't have enough guts to address Jesus. He's not even going to talk directly to Jesus. There are six days on which men ought to work and therefore come to be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. You ever had people like that in your life? Or maybe you're one of those people that's like that, maybe even tonight. 
you pick out your thing that really is in your life. It's something that, you know, maybe God normally does things a certain way. And, and you think that, you know, this is right and just and holy. And can I tell you, there's a lot of those kind of things that creep into the church. Things that absolutely are not mandated by the Lord, but they've been mandated by man. Things that creep into our walks with the Lord. I remember growing up in a denominational church, drums in church, an electric, all the pit of hell opened up if you had an electric guitar in church. And you start to, you go down that road of legalism. There's a couple of us in here tonight have hats on. <gasps> oh, God forbid. You hat wearers, don't be ashamed. Wear your hats proudly. You, you, you see, there's, there's a lot of things that we could look at in our lives. And we could say, well, maybe one way is better than the other way, or maybe one person might think one thing about that one thing. Go ahead and put your hat back on. You look great. Your bald head looks worse. <laughs> See, that's grace right there. That's... <laughs> Love you, Dennis. <laughs> but you see how, isn't that weird? I mean, think about it for a second. It's just a simple, silly thing. It's a silly thing. And yet we can start to almost put that on all of God's people. It doesn't change a person's heart. And it sure didn't change the gratitude of this woman. But this was the Sabbath. Now I want you to again notice that the guy doesn't speak to Jesus, but Lord was hearing. And the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite. Hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? You see, God never intended for the Sabbath day command to be boiled down to something as silly as this woman who's been sick for 18 years because she gets healed on the wrong day, that's somehow bad. That was from men. Men had put that on people. It had nothing to do with the Lord. And so Jesus plainly states, look, if you've got animals and they're thirsty, you even loose animals so that they can go get a drink. And that, by the way, would have been work. But that's not because of anything that was sinful. It's because the Lord never intended for us to look at it that way. That's what legalism does. It puts you into bondage. And then you're wandering around trying to figure out that fine line. You know, you become the judge, the jury, and the executioner of every little thing in other people's lives. And, oh, they didn't do it right, and they did this and did that, and they didn't do this, and they did do that. And, and before you know it, your life becomes a life of miserable inspection. Very unhappy people wandering around going, well, you know. So what, not this woman being a daughter of Abraham? 
He says, look, he's assigning her faith to the faith of Abraham. This woman simply was healed and believed that God did it, and he glorifies that event, and she glorifies the Lord in it, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound. Jesus even nails this. Says, this woman was under the oppressive hand of the enemy, and she's been set free, and somehow that, in your mind, is a bad thing. Family of God, would we never turn into that type of a legalistic bunch? To where when God's given someone a liberty, they've set them free. You know, we have people that come in here, believe it or not, they don't know Jesus yet. And they wear some stuff. It's like, "Mm, I probably wouldn't wear that to church, but we need to put some of that stuff away. You know, look, I I grew up in in a day and time when if you got a tattoo, there was exactly one reason. You serve in the United States military. That was the only reason a man ever had a tattoo. Now, as I say this, I am not telling you all to go out and get tattoos, okay? But we live in a different world. And people get some serious ink. I personally, probably not going to happen to me because I don't want to see wrinkles in color. (laughs) However, I've had people come to me, you know, I really think we should enforce a no tattoo showing policy at church. Honest is a heart attack. You know, we could ask them to wear long sleeve shirts. Sure, and we can put another 614 things outside of the door that says, if you come to church, you know, please make sure that it's been 14 weeks since your last fornication. And and if you've ever had a drink, I mean, could you kind of like not come in here ever if you actually need Jesus and maybe you had a drink of alcohol a couple days ago? You see, we could start going down a whole bunch of roads that at the end of day, at the end of which there would be no one able to walk through those doors, not any one of us. Amen? So please, hear what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying there aren't laws, and he's not saying that the law isn't good. He's saying be careful how you apply the law, and be careful about digging a spiritual hole for yourself that makes you the arbiter of all things holy. Ouch. So what not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan is bound, think of that, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Wouldn't you think someone who loves the Lord be going, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, praise the Lord, this is awesome? You see, that's the right response of someone who actually is filled with the Spirit of the living God. Not, well, you didn't heal her right. I mean, there's a lot of other days in the week she could have come back on the other six. You know, let her live in misery another day. The reason I'm doing this this way is think about your own life, those times when you have taken that path. 
I've taken that path. I've seen good things in people's lives, and I've not rejoiced over them. Like, well, you know. Put your hands on your hips, and you go, I deserve that. How come they're getting promoted, Lord? How come they get to do that thing for you? And I don't get to... And you're actually answering your own question. Do you know that? It's because of your lousy attitude. This is an attitude adjustment. This is a, this is a kind of in-your-face attitude adjustment by Jesus. Sometimes we get that lovely, legalistic, sanctimonious attitude. Look, you're not alone. I'm not pounding on you here, but I am going to set you free tonight if you're willing to be set free. Because this helps no one. This attitude doesn't help this fuming fool, and it sure didn't help the lady. And it wasn't pleasing to the Lord. And again, make no mistake of what I'm saying. Jesus didn't just change the Sabbath law here. He said, you be really careful how you apply something that was never intended to beat anyone up. It was designed to give the children of Israel, because it was a covenant between Israel and God, to give them rest so that they were not overachievers, so that they weren't workaholics, so that they sat down and sat at the feet of the Lord and had an opportunity to be refreshed and built up and ready for whatever God would do. It was never to put them under bondage so if the shadow of the sun started to fall on you, you were like booking it to try and get back home because you're carrying something that you bought at the store. During that day and time when people were caught by the sundown, they would literally drop what they had in their hands. It had gotten so crazy that they went out and they paid good money for these goods, but I can't carry it, it's a burden. That is not what the Lord intended when he instituted the Sabbath. That was what man turned it into. Be careful what you turn into. That which the Lord has made is good and perfect, and he doesn't intend it to be used for evil. And so this first exposure on our film is this fuming fool, this guy who, he just got it all wrong. And here's how Jesus responds. And and look, if you look, he's responding to this whole issue of hypocrisy. You you see, he's saying, look, man, there's six days, there's six days, there's six days that men ought to work. You can hear that person. It's a tattoo, it's a tattoo, it's a ball cap, it's a ball cap. It's God's house, it's a holy place. See how it works? Don't let that be you. It'll make you bitter. It'll make you bitter. Because no one will ever meet your, your criteria. I won't be able to do it. This guy didn't dare point these things at Jesus, by the way. It was the goodness of God that was exhibited right in front of him. And he turned that goodness of the Lord into a legalistic thing about rules. Think about it. He turned the goodness of the Lord into a legalistic thing about application of the Sabbath day law. 
But Jesus was ready for him, and he just simply calls him a hypocrite. He says, look, this woman has saving faith. This woman has believing faith. This woman has redeeming faith. This woman has God-honoring faith. And you're trying to turn it into something that's bad because it didn't meet your criteria. I'll give you a little secret to to dealing with people. People are not always going to please you. I'm not always going to please you. People are going to say things, and you're going to go, I don't really agree with that. If you want to turn it into an argument, you can. But it's not going to bless them, and it's not going to bless you. So we need to learn in the body of Christ the things that we need to go to bat on. If it's outright heresy, by all means, speak the truth in love. But if it's a non-essential thing, secret to walking in a, in, a, in a life that's free of trouble, let it go. And so Jesus speaks to this man. Doesn't tell him to go cover up. Doesn't tell him, well, you know, not today. He says, this woman glorified me. This woman glorified the Lord. She indoxoed the situation. She gave glory in the situation. Honored, distinguished what the Lord had done. You can imagine this guy's probably thinking to himself, pick the wrong battle. The second thing that we see here, the second exposure is a false kind of faith. You see a false faith. And when he said these things, all of his adversaries were put to shame. Yeah, I'm thinking so. Don't you turn an ox loose to let it go get some water, Jesus says. They're all going, uh-huh. Yeah, we'd never do that to an ox that's a piece of property. But we sure want to do that to people. You can imagine it kind of slunking off over into the corner. They were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. You see, the people actually got it. It was the legalists, it was the Pharisees that didn't get it. The people got it. And then he said, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? And so he now goes on and gives a a couple of illustrations. And they're both windows into false faith. How shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree. Now, if you know anything about mustard, uh, it's not a tree. It's not designed to be a tree. It has no purpose if it gets big. Um, It's just like a really obnoxious weed, but it can look like a tree. And the birds of the air nested in its branches. And so we see an abnormality And we see an adulteration as he speaks next about leaven. You see, those two things are the things that we need to worry about a little bit in our lives. Because we can become so convinced of our own position that an abnormal thing, something that should be gone, that is a giant mustard seed in my life. That's a plant that shouldn't be there. That's sucking all the life out of my walk with the Lord. And and I should not water it anymore. I ought to rip that thing out by the roots. We can start to go, ah, but look, the birds are nesting in it. 
It's huge. I love my mustard tree. And pretty soon you can start pruning your mustard tree and really taking, you can groom it. You can make it into a bonsai mustard tree. You can kind of get the branches all nice and beautiful looking. And the whole time that taproot is growing out of that mustard plant and it is sucking the nutrition out of your entire garden. The second thing is an adulteration or something that's radically wrong. Notice as he goes on in uh, the latter part here. He, he said, look, this is, it's got a large, a large branch. It, it looks huge. You know, most people, when you look at something that's large, don't we auto, almost automatically think success? Isn't it weird? If it's bigger, it's somehow good. Can I tell you, there's a lot of churches, but they're big, but it's not good. It's a false faith. Actually, it has nothing to do with the Lord. It has everything to do with man. And just as in the parable of the sower, the birds come in and snatch that seed away. There's all kinds of activity. There's big branches. But they're not walking in the way that's pleasing to the Lord. So this abnormal growth is not a good thing. Beware. There is in your life where you see abnormal growth. We certainly see it in, in sectors of the church. There are areas of the church that have grown very, very, very large. Look how huge it is. It's gigantic. Sometimes we can even be tempted to look at new numbers and say, well, the Lord must be blessing it. It's huge. I tell you, there's a lot of small churches that love the Lord. And there's a lot of people that attend those small churches that love the Lord. It isn't about how big it is. It's about how much fruit it's bearing. A big church ought to bear a whole bunch of fruit. And if a big church isn't reaching out, if a big church isn't seeing people come to Christ, if a big church isn't doing the things that are pleasing to the Lord, then it simply has become a mustard plant. And it's taking up a whole bunch of resources, all kinds of nutrients from God's soil, all kinds of water of His Holy Spirit, and it's producing zero fruit. We can think of all kinds of trees or like certainly the the word faith movement, health, wealth, and prosperity movement. Big churches, fabulously large churches, monumentally gorgeous churches. But it's sucking the life out of the body of Christ. It's sucking the life out of people. Be careful. Just because it's big does not mean it's good. And the second thing, this, this adulteration that Jesus goes on to talk about. And again, he says in verse 20, to what shall I like in the kingdom of God? So he uses first a mustard seed. Now he's used that as a, as a sign of faith because a, a mustard seed is one of the world's smallest seeds. And it's not supposed to produce a tree. It's supposed to produce a mustard plant. And that mustard plant's supposed to remain small. It's only used for a spice occasionally. And so he gives a second analysis. In case anybody missed it. And again he said, to what shall I like in the kingdom of God? It's like leaven. Now universally, just remind yourself that in Scripture, when Jesus uses leaven, he's not trying to make, make it a, a good analogy. He's using leaven in the exact same context. He always uses leaven. Leaven is sin. 
which a woman took and hid three quarters of a measure of in a meal until it was all leavened. And he went through all the cities and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And then one of them said, Lord, you can see how he's getting to this. He's, he's saying, are, are you kidding me? You know, I would think a whole bunch of leaven would make it nice and big and fluffy. And I would think the bigger the tree is, it's got to be better. And Jesus is going to now step into this equation with them. And one of them said, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he's saying, look, man, there's big churches that are riddled with faulty doctrine. There's big churches that are big because they no longer teach about sin. There's big churches that exist because they don't speak about anything. And so he wasn't talking about toning down our our stance on the things that God accepts. He was just simply saying, when you find those things, implement grace. Speak the grace of God and the truth of God together. But put grace in front of the truth, but the truth's still the truth. We don't toss out the truth. The truth of the matter is, here's the essential things, that we need to lean on the grace of God. And the grace of God is going to transform lives. And so when you see things that don't line up with the way we ought to walk and the way we ought to live our lives, then it's okay to say, look, there's some leaven in that lump. You see, because you can respond to this whole thing by going the other direction as well, nothing matters. And that wasn't what Jesus was getting at. He was saying, make sure that your plant's growing in in an appropriate way. And, oh, by the way, make sure that you call sin, sin. To what shall we liken it? The church is riddled, riddled with false doctrine. But Jesus is saying, when you see those things, don't go to legalism. Don't go like the Sadducees did to liberty, and for sure don't do what Herod did, which is just accept everything. You see, those things address a couple of key issues for us. You see that that leaven speaks of failure, because you know what? If if you allow sin into your life, it's going to destroy you. It may take a long time. And if you grow up, and you're just a weed, you're still just going to be a big weed. So you need to be rooted and grafted into the branch. You need to not be a big weed. You need to be a branch on the vine. And so Jesus is basically talking about the three basic views with which people still view our relationship with the Lord. You see, the Pharisees were religionists. They promoted dead tradition. They were legalists, and and they were the rules people in the church. So on one hand, you had them. The Sadducees were the rationalists. They were the relativists of the day. Well, it's all relative, brother. You know, we don't really think that. We don't take God's word for what it says anymore. We just, you know, live and let live. Well, that wasn't good either. They were the libertines, the people who had no rules. So on one hand, you had people who had too many rules. On the other hand, you, people, you had people who had no rules. Neither of those are correct. And, and then on top of that, you have the Herodians. 
You, you, you have a group of people. They were royals. They, they basically were the PC police. They were the, well, you know, whatever won't get me in trouble today. And Jesus basically is saying, look, the church has to be down the middle on these things. We need to honor the Lord with everything that's in us. We need to make sure that we apply it with grace. You, you see, the truth of God without the grace of God is just brutality. And the grace of God without the truth of God is a lie. And Jesus said, hit the middle on these things. Be gracious, be kind, but be truthful. The very thing that James would remind us. You see, the Lord is now heading towards the cross. This, this picks up about six months before Jesus is going to end up in Jerusalem. He's going to give his life. And, and so he's becoming more controversial. He's becoming more confrontational. And yet at the same time, he's still leaving people in the place of grace. Family of God, leave people in the grace of God. Leave people in the grace of God. The Lord then answers that question. Look, are so few saved? I want you to see how Jesus answers this. Because he's talking about sin in the life of a believer. He's talking about false growth. And he does it in the context of somebody picking on a lady who's been healed on the Sabbath. Get the whole picture together. And so this is what Jesus boils all this down to. This is how he answers. Verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow gate. And that word strive is agonizo. It, it means to put every last drop of your effort into it. Much like an Olympic, we're about to start the Olympics, right? The training schedule of Olympic athletes is nuts. Insane what Olympic athletes go through. It's not, it's not even human what Olympic athletes generally do. They monitor their caloric intake. They monitor their activity level. They spend eight, ten hours a day working out. You know, especially if you like the swimming events, you can't really truly appreciate what, what it takes to be an Olympic swimmer and, until you've actually gone down to the pool and you're in the pool at 5 o'clock in the morning, you're swimming for two hours, you're out, you go and do weights, then you go back to the pool, swim for another couple of hours, then you go back and you do all kinds of stretching, you do some cardio stuff, then you go back to the pool, and you do that seven days a week for four years. Strive to enter the narrow gate. Why would he say that in light of these things? Because the legalist says, just to have a whole bunch of laws, and the laws will hem you in. The libertine person says, it doesn't matter what you do, just do anything that you want. The Herodians were going, well, it's how you feel about it. And so Jesus brings them all the way back around. He says, now, why don't you agonize over making sure you're going in the narrow gate? For I say to you, you will seek to enter and not be able. In other words, if you don't put your whole heart into it, if you're looking in the wrong place, if you're looking for it to be all about the rules, that's going to mess you up. If you're looking for it to be all about the lack of rules, that will mess you up. And if you think it's about how you feel about it, you're really going to be messed up. 
When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock, he's given a picture of Noah at the ark, right? You know what he's doing? You've heard this story before. Remember what happened with Noah? Look, he's building, the, he's building the ark for 120 years. The dude takes some serious heat from his neighbors. You aren't seriously going to keep working on this 400-foot-long boat, are you? Nowhere near a body of water. We've never even seen it rain. The, the ground is watered by the mist, the dew that comes in. We don't even know what a rainstorm is. And you're telling us you've been told by God that it's going to rain and he's going to flood the earth and you're working on this stupid wooden boat for 120 years. And Noah trusts God. But notice what happens. Noah lived his life in such a way. And he was, wasn't a perfect guy, by the way. He had a few issues. Noah had some issues. But once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock, and you're knocking on the door saying, Lord, Lord, open it for us. He will answer to say, and say to you, I do not know you or where you're from. That's a frightening thing. So the Lord is saying, be careful that you're not trusting in the fact that your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, your mom, or your dad got you involved in religion. You, you see, it's not, it's not about those types of things. You need to put some effort into really seeking hard the things of the Lord, but do it in grace. Don't make it about the laws, and don't make it about your liberty. You see how it's down the middle? It's not about turning yourself loose to do whatever you want, and it's not about you being hemmed in by a bunch of laws. It's being down the middle. It's grace through faith that we actually walk in the truth then. You want to see an example of it? Prophet Nathan shows us how to do that in 2 Samuel. You can read it, 2 Samuel 11 and chapter 12, most of it. Salvation is free. Be blessed in that. But if you've really been set free, then you've got to live your life in a way that's pleasing to God. There's going to be a transformational change that happens. It's a beautiful picture. You, you see, the, the real truth is, and the Lord basically says it here, narrows the way. It leads into life and godliness. And it's not everybody that finds that way because they're looking for the wrong thing. You see, the religionist is looking for enough rules to kind of beat down their flesh. And the libertine person is looking for enough liberty that they can do whatever they want. They actually want to be able to sin and it be okay with God. So they have no doctrinal correctness whatsoever. But the legalist says, hey, look at our rules, so we've got to be right with God. And Jesus is saying, both those extremes, not it. Because rules can't save you. And rules don't make you holy. It's a soft heart inclined towards God that opens up your life for the Lord to be able to speak into you that's going to change and transform and make you more like Jesus. It's not rigidity. It's not simply being this way, not this way. And so the Lord is saying to him, look, the time's now. You need to put your effort into it. You need to find that narrow way.
And it's time to get with it. It's time to make sure that you're on that road. And so he gives a graphic picture of the multitudes who never bothered to question. Is this right? You see, and Jesus now can point back at that lady, is this right? Because she got healed on the Sabbath, is that somehow wrong? Is that something that ought to bother me as someone who loves the Lord? And the answer to that is, if you're a legalist, it bothers you to no end. It bothers you to no end. Because it's not by the rules. And if you're a libertine person, then just everybody's okay with God and it doesn't matter anyway. And he says, strive, agonize. Don't be like those at Noah's Ark. They scoffed. They sinned away the day of grace. They mocked and they were shut out. Jesus continues in verse 26 and And then you'll begin to say, we ate, we drank in your presence, and you you taught in our streets. But he'll say, I tell you, I don't know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You might look at it this way. (laughs) I went to an open-air meeting. I I went to a crusade. I I can't even tell you how many people in my life I've talked to, and they'll, they'll use phrases like, the man upstairs talked to me. The big kahuna. I, I read from the good book one time. And I got, I got baptized into the church. I, I go, you got baptized into what? What did you get baptized into? You see, because if you're not saved, getting baptized doesn't do a thing for you. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, being baptized means zip. Nothing. Because baptism is an outward sign of what's already happened inwardly. So you can't get baptized into anything. You're getting baptized because you're already in. And you're just letting the world know that you're already in. You are a child of God. And you identify with the finished work of Jesus Christ. That the Holy Spirit has now come upon you. And you are a new creation. You've been raised in new life as you come out of that water. But you're not getting baptized into anything. I ask them into what, and they'll say, I don't know. Verse 28, (laughs) look, your mom, your dad can't save you. Getting drug off the church doesn't do it. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. Now remember, he's still speaking to the legalist. He's using this as a way to talk to the person who thinks that they're okay because they got all the rules right. And they're the example of holiness. And they will come from the east and the west and from the north and from the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. Can you imagine seeing that scene where the prophets are all coming and they're at the marriage supper of the Lamb and somehow you get a vision of that? And indeed... There are the last who will be first, and there are the first who will be last. So so don't let those extremes get you. 
You don't want the Lord to have to expose those things in your life. I surely don't in mine. I don't always get it right. You know, days when I kind of lean one way or another. I think we all do that for us with ourselves. You know, we have those days where we lean towards legalism or maybe we lean towards liberty. Maybe we go a little this way and then we go back a little. Can I just ask you to land back in the middle? Remember that God is holy and he loves us to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to him and is like him. Remember, he's the head. We're supposed to be like him, amen? Mirror him. He should be that one that is recognized in the things that we do and the things that we say. You see these guys, it was a, it was a problem for them. And so Jesus says, look, don't trust in your legalism. Don't trust in your hypocrisy because if you really look at your own life, you're, you're, you're going to get exposed. Because it's not skipping by Jesus. You see, one day the Lord's going to take it all into account and he's going to reveal everything that we've ever done and it's all going to be known for what it is. So walk in grace now. Walk in liberty to live a life that's pleasing to God now. Be kind to other people. Be gracious to other people. Be understanding with people's faults and weaknesses. Speak the truth, but speak that truth with as much love as you yourself would like to hear if you were caught in that thing. Be gentle, long-suffering, because the Lord loves to heal. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. I'm grateful. Lord, thank you for these incredible saints. And Pray as we've heard these words, Lord. I know I myself am challenged at times. I can get legalistic. And Lord, when it's some area of life that maybe is a temptation to me, I can also get libertine. And so I pray. I pray for all of us, God, that we'd land in the middle of that place of grace. Lord, that beautiful picture of walking uh, in that grace of God and yet at the same time in the truth of God. Lord, we don't want to abandon one for the other. We don't want to be harbingers of simply truth that's brutal and harsh. And we don't want to diminish your grace by making it of no value. And so, Lord, help us to hit the middle. Help us to not be hypocritical. Lord, help us to be able to see those things that are rejoicing in other people's lives. And if they happen on the wrong day, would we still jump up and down for joy because you've been good. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We thank you. We pray that you'd pour out your spirit upon us and use us, Lord. Use us in this world. The world desperately needs more Jesus. And so would we be like you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. And God's people all said, amen. Would you stand? We're going to begin to...